Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 36 of Connections Magic. Thank you for coming back and tuning in. This week, our guest is my old friend, Naveen Watamal, who formerly worked at Interscope Records with me back in the day and went on to become general manager for Justin Timberlake's record label before they even got going. He was there from the ground floor, so we get to hear a little bit about that. We get to hear about how he brought in and pulled together a meeting with Justin Bieber, with Justin Timberlake. Uh, They almost signed him to Justin Timberlake's label. Pretty wild story there. And a lot of other gems. Excited for you to check this out. And this will be a two-parter. So this is part one. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, We end up feeling lonely and isolated, and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to connection. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode, number 36 of Connection is Magic. We got the main man, Naveen Watamal, in the house. Yeah, what's up, man? Thank you very much for showing up today for take two of this interview. Technical difficulties occurred on the uh, on the first version. No worries, no worries. But we're all about keeping it real around here. So yeah, yeah. I put there it I, is. I put a lot of people on blast on episode one, man. Or sorry, well, take episode one. Episode 35, you yeah. were coming. Take, you had you had the take one. I brought the fire. You had the Uzi out. I was calling out names. <laughs> I was calling out names. Yeah. Hopefully, I, want, I wanted all the smoke, as uh, the kids say these yes. days. Yes, and I want you to bring that same energy because uh, that was fun. If you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. I yeah. got nothing to lose. Naveen's got receipts, as I've the kids got, say. I've got lots of receipts. I've got mad receipts. I'm good at budgeting. <laughs> So funny. All right. Well, let's pick it up. So um, originally uh, you were talking about how you went to boarding school, right? In in India and and the vibes and how you got into hip hop in the early days. Yeah. The golden age, as they say. Yeah. It was was, uh, eighth grade is when I started listening to rap hip-hop. I mean, I was like growing up in Orange County, then went to boarding school in South India at age 10. So I had been exposed to a little bit of radio, like Belle Biv DeVoe and, you know, stuff like that as a kid, but was kind of just listening to a whole bunch of pop music. But then listened to uh, The Infamous by Mob Deep and The Chronic by Dre. I was introduced to both those albums at the same time in around eighth grade. And I'd throw the CDs in and I'd be reading the liner notes from like seeing who's producing and writing. Even and back then studios. you were already yeah. looking for that info? I mean, I was just trying to soak up everything I could because yeah. being in like this little village boarding school in South India, like these, these CDs were like the window to the first world culture, like mm. to, to the U.S. And that's all I really had. My mom would send us these send me and my brother these kind of care packages every couple months and just buy the top 10 albums at Sam Goody and throw in a Source magazine and a Vibe magazine and we'd get the box like three months later 
and we'd open it and it'd be this window to like that's so much cooler than her US. sending you like Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears CDs yeah, like yeah. son this is what's happening in the states right yeah, now yeah right the manager at <laughs> Sam Goody was, would have this Indian woman come in with a British accent ordering the top 10 albums on the rap charts it was just like a weird kind of situation but he knew like every month she was going to come in and grab like whatever the top 10 were that's so and funny and she was she says like it's not for me I'm sending it to my sons in India it's just like a strange story right um, like damn mom imagine, you get down yeah, basically like, right yeah, yeah that's the mom that's letting that's sending gangster rap to her kids in, in South India pretty that's cool so great. pretty cool mom right you know, obviously this is pre-internet and everything so that's all we had to stay connected what point do you come back to the states and uh, you went to Tufts right yeah I went to Tufts for undergrad in Boston got a, got a degree in economics did not use your degree like most people on the show yeah, I feel like yeah a lot of yeah. I mean a lot of my friends a lot of my close college friends went traditional with their career paths but I'm the one that was like had a terrible internship in in finance and so when I graduated I was like I don't really want to go into like investment bank and do that kind of default thing I've always loved music let me see if I can make my passion my job. I remember I had a lot of anxiety when I was wrapping up my bachelor's because I'm yeah. like, oh, what do I do now? I feel like that's normal to a degree. Yeah. But yeah. how bad did it get with you? Like, were you pretty anxious in that yeah. sort of mid-step? I mean, senior year is when I actually started, started to find that I had social anxiety, like, diagnosable. Mm. And it was really taking, like, I was a people person, but I suddenly, like, I slowly stopped wanting to go out and socialize and, Interesting. and meet people. And I recognized pretty early on that it was, uh, it was, like, not who I really was. It was, like, the anxiety was forcing me into a situation that wasn't true to who I am as a person. Because I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy mm. connecting with people. But the anxiety was keeping me, like, indoors. I went to our Tufts, like, medical center and was like, hey, this is what's happening. These are the symptoms. Bam. Like, help. Like, this is not me. I need some help. So that's when I actually started first seeing a therapist and diagnosing my social anxiety and stuff. Early but, 20s, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. so early Good 20s. So that's when I started, like looking at my mental health. You got therapy. Yeah. And did that help bring that down a bit? Yeah. So therapy was a road I went through for, I mean, I was going to see a therapist for six, seven years and, you know, from my early twenties to my late twenties. And, you know, I still check in with my therapist every now and then. That's awesome. So yeah, you're like, all right, you got this degree in economics, your friends are all doing this other stuff. It's yeah. not really feeling like it's a vibe you want to get, no. get into. So then enter this idea of working in music like yeah so talk us through that like at what yeah, point so, did you find out that that's a possibility so my brother had who is a year older than me he had done an internship at universal music publishing but he never did anything further but he had also mentioned that at ucla they had a music business extension uh certificate program um, and so I knew that that was out there. I want to do something with my life. I know it's not finance. I love music. I know UCL Extension has this program. Let me take a couple classes there, try to work my way and get an internship in music and try to see if this is a legitimate career path for me. I'll give it a year. If it doesn't work out, there's, I can always go back to consulting, banking, finance with my mm -hmm. economics degree, right? So took some classes at UCLA. The first one I took was an A&R class with Tony Ferguson, Barry Square, of course, you know. Yeah, my mentor, you know Tony. Tony Ferguson, yeah. Yeah, so that's funny because, like, that's how <laughs> that's how our paths kind of began to cross before yeah. we even, you know, knew each other. So those guys, Barry and Tony, would have music industry professionals come 
to the class and, and lecture. And so I had my resume printed out on a resume paper and a resume envelope, ready to hustle it and try to get my foot in the door. Because like obviously this is pre-LinkedIn, I had no music industry network. Only way you're going to get your foot in the door is if someone helps you, right, and opens the door for you. So um, battling my anxiety, I was still trying to make that effort to do the right thing and, and give myself the best chance It of must success, have felt like right? you were being in the gym doing reps. Like each time you would go, right, uh, yeah. stretch yourself to be social or it's, be it's, right. It's kind of like exposure therapy, right? So yeah. it's like face the fear of what you're like. There's a great saying, right? Feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. Okay. So you're in your early 20s again. You're at UCLA Extension. Yeah. And one of the guests that Tony and Barry have in is this guy, David Andrioni, David who yeah. worked at Sony in some capacity. Yeah, he worked in Colum at Columbia as an A&R. He took my resume in. He gave it to his A&R his, his manager. Went to an interview, all suited up. Did you approach... <laughs> That's <laughs> so funny. It's a running joke about, wait, you mean you're actually acting like super polished and professional, like in the music I mean, industry? That's, how, that's, that's not, that's like a no, no. Yeah, it, it's, it's like looked down upon, right? It's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. don't like, <laughs> it's so it's, I mean, that's just one of the many things about the music industry. That's unlike the traditional industries is like, you think that you do the right thing. You print your resume out on resume paper and you have it all ready to go. And you, you come in with a suit, suit on. Yeah, 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 and yeah. They look at you like you're an idiot. Dude. I did the same thing with my first right? uh, interview at Interscope. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, don't ever wear that again. <laughs> 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 it was awesome. Yeah. So it was Columbia a &R, and they mostly were doing rock projects. So I asked the NR manager, I was like, hey, you know, like, I'm happy to, I'd love to be a part of this, like, I, but to be honest, I'm, I, rock's not my thing. Rock's not my thing. I know a lot more about rap and pop. Um, is there anyone in the department that works on that? And she's like, no, not in this department, but let me call Kenny Commissar. And Ken picks up the phone and is like, and she's like, hey, do you need any interns? And he's like, when can he start? <laughs> Didn't even, hadn't even met me, didn't know who I was. Just said, when can he start? And Ken, at the time, he was in this weird kind of corporate A&R position under Sony, been the general manager of Michael Jackson's label. Really well known and respected in he the industry. He had some good stripes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. But he didn't have an assistant. And he was just kind of piecemealing his assistant by like getting all these interns just to kind of pick up the slack. Because this is a guy whose like, phone is ringing off the hook all the time. So I went down, met Ken, started the very next week, I think and realized that there was a really big opportunity for me to be his like right-hand man because he was just so busy. And one of the things that Barry actually said in the UCLA class was, I'm going to make sure that I'm needed and that these people can't breathe without me. If you make yourself needed, they're not going to want to be without you, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll make a place for you. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to make this guy uh, like need me to breathe, like, right? So, Which wasn't hard because I feel like this guy was so in need, yeah, right? He absolutely he was everywhere. Need. Yeah, I mean, his, so his, timing was his office yeah. was a disaster. His yeah. phone's ringing off the hook. His yeah. cell phone's ringing. His office phone's ringing. Like, he's, like, super can, disorganized. You know, to speed up the story a bit, you're, you're now working under Ken Commissar yeah. for about, was it, like, a year? I think I did that full-time for, like, three, four months. And then I got an internship at Interscope and was then splitting my time between Interscope 
Microscope and Sony. And I remember you saying that, you know, you got let go from that internship, <laughs> right? I got fired from a free internship. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Tell us how that happened again. So I was in new media. Basically, they had me it's going on to ban pages on MySpace, just adding friends and accepting them to the to, to like the yeah. MySpace page and doing really grunt menial work, right? And new media at the time was a new department and I wanted to be in marketing. That's where I felt like my future would be. And a friend of mine had interned for Chris Clancy in mm. marketing. Mm. So he was like, go over to Chris. I can't remember Chris's assistant's name. Oh, Kelly. Oh, Kelly. Okay. So Kelly and Chris. So Kelly was the assistant at the time. And so I went over to Kelly and I was like, hey, you know, my friend... Ulysses used to work for you. Um, he said that you guys may need a hand because he's no longer working here. I'm working in new media a couple days a week, but if you guys need some help, let me know. I'm happy to help, right? Cool. The, the, the assistant for the head of new media heard that I did that and got like territorial talked to HR and got me like You were gone like immediately? I was gone like that week. And I walked over from Interscope to Sony and Ken was like, wait, today's not your day here. Like you're every other day or something. I just saw you yesterday. And I was like, yeah, I just got let go from Interscope. And he was like, fuck it. We got work to do. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so that very night we were at the House of Blues with Guapale watching CeeLo perform. And, and you were thinking, this is pretty cool, right? Uh, were you feeling yeah, good about that position? Yeah, I mean... Time? At that point, Ken had already like totally brought me into the fold. I'd done a ton of time in the studio with him. He absolutely welcomed me into everything he was doing. So you just you basically double up with Ken. Yeah, yeah and then a, and then a, and then a really cool moment came for you uh, when Justin Timberlake was going to start a label. Yes, uh, that was a defining moment. How long? into you starting with Ken and Justin bringing in Ken to do that label was yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So so I ended up, I interned with, with Ken and then at Interscope for, that was probably a total of six months, got a job at uh, this independent A&R company in Calabasas called Taxi. They're like a filtering system for the industry. They would get music from across the country, filter it, send it to different publishing companies. I used to listen to some of those taxi demos because yeah. they'd get sent to all yeah. A&R departments, yeah. right, at the different labels. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is at a time where, like, you couldn't just look up an A&R and email him your music, yeah. right? This is way before that. So taxi served as, like, the filtering process mm. to get around some of those gatekeepers, and they had relationships with, like, yeah. real industry professionals that would listen to your music. So um, did that for two years, kind of felt like I hit my peak and, like, and was a little disconnected from the actual creative side of the music business, which is why I wanted to get into music in the first place. And so was about to take a job at Warner Brothers in radio um, to be the assistant to Ron Cerrito, who is, you know, a really solid executive. And but did you want to do radio? I didn't really want to do radio, but I knew it was like vital for the industry. And I figured that would be so that a good like way to get... that was practical side kicking yeah. in, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was like, radio is so vital in the industry. I'm not crazy about it, but it's something that I should learn. And that was an introduction that I got from Ken, because he and I were still in touch, um, still maintain that relationship. How long does the radio run last? Well, the radio run never happened because I was about to accept the job. Mm. I go to Ken and I'm like, Ken, thanks for this intro. I'm about to take the job and that's when he's like don't take that job and I'm like wait a second you introduced me to him why do you not want me to take this job and so he's like I've got this Justin Timberlake job like that's on the horizon 
it's not happening yet, but it's it's about to. Like he's going to hire me to run to run to be the president of of his record label. There's no name. It's going to be a joint venture with Interscope. We're going to launch the label with this Grammy contest. And next year in February, we're going to launch the label. So this is 2006, and uh, and Justin is about to start his record label. He's about to release Future Sex Love Sounds. and He's coming off of that huge Senior Rita song, just yeah, for like, yeah. to give people the time frame. Yeah, so he, mm-hmm. had just rele- he had released his first album, Justified. Yeah. It was successful. So anyway, I didn't take the radio job. I had Ken call Ron Cerrito and say, hey, he's not going to take the job. <laughs> Sorry for sending him your way. Um, And so I was working with Ken out of his home office for the first couple months. Laundry room. Laundry room. Laundry room productions is what his LLC was called because it was adjacent to his laundry room. And he was not only uh, tapped to be the president of Justin's label, but he was also working for David Sonnenberg's management company, DOS. And they managed Black Eyed Peas and eventually were managing Natasha Bedingfield. Um, I think they, David used to manage the Fugees back in the yeah, day as well. Yeah. So very well-regarded music manager. And so Ken was like, I want you to help me with the Justin thing, but help me with the management thing too. I'm going to pay you out of my pocket to mm. start, but we're going to get you two salaries at the end of the day. For Justin, you'll be the A&R manager and we'll get you in the door at X amount of money. And I'll figure out the check from from David and the management thing, and so you'll you be, were you were you'll be in my world. You were entirely, sitting right? super pretty right there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It was mm-hmm. a like it was a very much a right place, right time kind of situation, and I knew that the labels would always be there, but this kind of opportunity is like comes once in a lifetime. Like, yeah. What's the worst case scenario of helping Justin start his label? It doesn't work out, and the major labels are still there. It's a calculated risk. You know, I'm in my early 20s. This is what I got in the industry for, right? This time frame also is like before the times of like your typical startup, right? We now see these startup businesses that have gone from nothing to something in yeah, such a short amount of time. Right? Yeah, this is pre-Uber, I think. Yeah, this is pre all these tech startups mm-hmm. are like this generation of tech startups that we know. So yeah, absolutely pre-Uber. I mean, we didn't even have... Twitter at that point mm. or Facebook pages, you know? Mm. So talk us through those early days. So you're basically you started at Ken's house. Then when did it shift to an actual I office? Think within the first, I think in 2007, we got some office space in what, in like West Hollywood, Robertson, Hills area. Robertson. Yeah. Yeah. Robertson, like a block away from the Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a pretty small office. We kept the staff pretty lean at all times. It was a four year joint venture deal with Interscope that we had with, with, Justin's label. And so we had like the major muscle of, of the major label behind us. And I was the day-to-day contact for like every department at Interscope, radio, publicity, sales, marketing, now, legal, and our admin. Or let me ask you what I think a lot of people will be thinking. Yeah. They're going to be thinking like, oh, Interscope, one of the biggest record labels mm-hmm. on the planet. Yeah. Justin Timberlake, at that point, one of the biggest stars on the planet. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. You why would, they why would the be hell thinking, haven't I heard of this record label? Well, right? that's, that's one. <laughs> or like that you would just sign artists and they would just go to glory land like overnight yeah. and win a bunch of Grammys because you had all this muscle behind it yeah. and just tell the people what it's really like. I wish that was the case. I wish it was so easy, right? But there's so many variables that are involved. The vision that Justin had for this label was that it be a label that truly developed artists like the old school way. Like, let's not just plug and play 
like a pretty face with a decent voice with some music that we source from the industry's writers and producers. Let's build like true artists here. He, he wanted to give artists the opportunity that he didn't have himself. Mm -hmm. Like it took him so many years to finally venture out onto his own. And so he really wanted to sign true artists and give them a place to flourish and grow. And what was the most successful out of the entire like roster that ever was? Like what was, talk to us about that I mean, project. Unfortunately, none of our artists that we signed really like made it, made it. The first artist that we signed and released, this girl, uh, her name was Esme Denters. She was the most subscribed to musician on YouTube at one point. And us signing her was like a major like move in the industry. Was it competitive like, for her? Were there other labels trying to vie yeah, for her? Yeah, I think Atlantic was trying to sign her. Where do you think it went wrong? Again, a lot of people that are watching or listening probably might not have worked in music. Yeah. So can you help them understand yeah. how that went bad? So I think number one, we just didn't have the hit songs. Mm. I mean, it all comes down to that, right? We see tons of, of artists that make it that may not be super talented, but they have a catchy-ass song. Like Psy, we all know that Psy song, right? Gangnam Style. You saw a change from like, you weren't just putting out a single to radio and then releasing an album and it's done. Like with everything going digital, you have to keep on putting out more and more music because there's so much noise, right? right? It's so easy to get distracted. Justin was the type that was quality over quantity because that's what worked in his career. And because he was already established, he could do that. He could go and act for three or four years and come back and would release a song and people would go ape shit. But that's because he was already established. And but I thought that would carry over to the label, but not, not really. So being signed to the label, being signed to Justin's label is a conversation starter. It's a door opener. It attracts those initial eyeballs. Yeah. But at that point, you got to follow through, right? You got to have something it's, to it's say. It's like You've a dating profile. Song, right? It's like you can match with somebody yeah. and that's cool, but you go on the date. Exactly. Like it's like a girl that says, oh, flat. he's 6'2", right? Yeah. And then like, they're, they're going to be like, oh, great. He's tall. But like, what else? Like, are your teeth all funky? Like, you know, <laughs> you have one talking point and you've got some leverage with that. But what do you do after that, right? And for us as a label for, I mean, I ended up working for Justin for five and a half years. We released, we had four artists that were signed and, we, and three of them actually got released. Mm. How do you continue to generate momentum for these artists and have them connect with their audience if you're not releasing product for them consistently? You brought in Justin Bieber to uh, the label. Yeah. And I think that's worth, we can make a podcast clip out of that. I yeah, feel like. absolutely. So, so like talk us through that and what his manager at the time. Now, I think he just did uh, a deal for Taylor Swift's like music catalog for $300 million or something. Yeah. Talk us through, <laughs> talk us through some of, some of that experience, please. So we had already signed a YouTube artist, right? With Esme Denters and it hadn't worked out. So when we met, Justin Bieber, he was also another artist that was. How did you pull it in though? How like, do we pull it somebody... in? Uh, God, it must have been through a network somehow. I don't know if it was like Scooter was connected to an attorney that introduced. Uh, like it was some okay. referral through. But it seemed interesting to you yeah, at the time, right? It seemed right? interesting yeah. to me. Mm -hmm. Ken was always a fan of working with younger artists because I think you can mold them and 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 give them that creative direction and, and they're open to it. Um, and That's he's worked true. with a lot of younger artists over his career. So 
Justin Bieber came in. He's already had a ton of YouTube video views, but we weren't impressed by that because we had already done that with Esme and it didn't translate to sales, right? So me personally, I wasn't crazy about Bieber because, not him personally, he was fine, but um, I wasn't crazy about his music because it was kind of like, I'm not the target audience. Mm -hmm. So I learned an important lesson obviously through that is like, just because I'm not the target audience doesn't mean there isn't a massive audience for Absolutely. an artist, right? But um, we brought him in. Justin Timberlake ended up meeting Bieber. We thought Bieber was really talented. Scooter Braun at the time was pretty much like an all-hands-on-deck organizer, assistant, booking flights. Like, I was working with him to book flights And for, not even really an established manager, oh, obviously, at that point. Not at all. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. But um, he had signed Just, uh, Justin Bieber to his own production company. Mm -hmm. So the deal that we were brought when we ended up trying to sign Bieber was to sign, to give like Scooter a, a deal for his production company. We weren't even signing Bieber himself. So that was a non-starter for our legal team. And Ken was trying to still make something work and it wasn't happening. So Scooter realized like it wasn't going anywhere and used the leverage of us, of, of him meeting with Justin Timberlake to get a meeting with L.A. Reid and Usher, and then oh, they ended up signing Oh, that's there. what happened. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you looked it up publicly, like if you Googled it, you'd see like articles about bidding war between Justin Timberlake and mm. Usher. That's not what happened. It's not true. Um, I mean, it makes for a nice story, but it's not the truth. Uh, but yeah, that's the really short version of that. And of course, Bieber... You know, and we talked about it. Had that deal gone down, you yeah. might not be working at GoFundMe, or yeah. you might have not had these transitions. Yeah. Isn't, yeah. That, isn't that wild? Yeah. If we had signed Bieber, I think regardless of like the system that Justin Timberlake had in place was that he needed to be involved with all the music that we were putting out, and therefore it slowed down the release of product for all these artists, and it dimmed their chances of being successful. But I feel like Scooter was just a powerhouse and wouldn't have stopped. He would have kept on I agree. putting out stuff I agree. through YouTube. He would have that man breaks found through walls, way. right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think he would have dragged us to success with Bieber, whether mm. Justin Timberlake liked it or not, and the label would have been successful off Bieber. And I would have not left the label after five and a half years, and may have stayed in music, and my life would be a lot different, and my bank account would probably look <laughs> a lot different too. But, you know, my oh mental my health would probably be a in lot the garbage can, too. Right? Absolutely. So like, you know. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now, and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, please stay connected.